I'm Kwame Christian, and I am the CEO of the American Negotiation Institute, and I want you to check out my podcast, Negotiate Real Change. Listen to conversations with leaders in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, and learn the secrets behind what it really takes to become a successful advocate, ally, and change maker in your organization. Check out Negotiate Real Change on your favorite podcast player. LinkedIn presents... From entrepreneurship to global business leadership, from challenges to self-discovery to our ever-changing future, what separates those who win and those who get passed by? This is The Yes Factor with Winnie Sun. Friends, meet Jacqueline Snyder and Mina Kulo-Sitek, the co-founders of The Product Boss, a small business coaching platform, and also a top marketing podcast, also called The Product Boss. Let me introduce Jacqueline Snyder to the show. Hello, Jacqueline. How are you? Hi. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for being here. And your partner here, co-founder, Mina Kulo-Sitek. How are you? Good. How are you? Thanks for having us, Winnie. It is such a treat to have the two of you, two powerhouse leaders. Let's just give you some love right now because what you do is incredible. They're the co-founders of The Product Boss, which is a small business coaching platform and top marketing podcast. Probably heard of them. I'm sure you've heard of them. But if you haven't, I think you're in for a treat because they're going to talk about how they help small business owners, product-based small business owners, I should say. Their top marketing podcast has over 1 million downloads. Oh, you know, just a few. And they have, and they're doing all sorts of things in the business area, the shopping area. So we're going to learn from them today. And I don't know, are you excited to be here? Because I'm hoping you are. So super excited. Let's start from the beginning. How did you meet? Where did things start? How did the product boss start? Yeah, thank you. You know, it's funny. I think I didn't realize I was an entrepreneur, but at 10 years old, I remember creating a lip gloss company that I sold to my friends where I took Vaseline and face paint and made lipstick. So I was always sort of thinking about how to come up with creative ideas and then to sell them, right? I was raised by entrepreneurial parents. I'm first generation American. My mom was raised in a time where she was she came from England and and they said like she was going to be a secretary. So even though she should have gone to art school and pursued her artistic creativity, she instead became a secretary, then a mom and raised five children and really was um, home with us. And so I always kind of grew up in that sort of lack of something that she really wanted to pursue. And so I was really fortunate that my parents were okay, were entrepreneurs and they were okay with me following my creative background. So, you know, when I was in high school, it was very much about going to college and getting your degree. And um, at that point, I think I thought I was going to be a lawyer and or advertising. And so I went to UC Santa Barbara, which is a fantastic school. And one year in, I realized I was in the wrong place. I realized I was an artist and a designer. And I found out about the school in LA that was a fashion design program. It's Otis College of Art and Design. And it was a four-year program, bachelor's in fine arts with a major in fashion design. So I actually left a UC. And I remember my friend's parents thinking, you're parents are letting you leave a UC to go to art school because, you know, back in the nineties, it was sort of, you just, you didn't pursue arts. The arts aren't really pursued or, or encouraged. And so I did, and I graduated top of my class and I was hired out of school to design for Cosabella, which is an Italian lingerie company. I thought I was just going to be an assistant, but when they moved me to Florida, I ended up designing and launching their entire swimwear line, their ready to wear line and celebrities like 
well, basically all of the Sex and the City, City crew wore it and Paris Hilton and Jessica Simpson. And, and it was my first introduction to sort of working for a really big brand, but at a young age being given a lot of opportunity as a fashion designer. From there, I was hired by a celebrity to design her clothing line. It was during the time of celebrity clothing lines. And I moved back to Los Angeles and I was, you know, 24, 25, and we were putting together huge shows, fashion shows. We were, you know, we stayed at the Versace mansion in Miami. We did shows on um, the Tyra Bank show and the view basically runway shows of this clothing line. And I had a lot of opportunity again. So I guess I was very fortunate when I was younger that I was creative and good at my job and great at figuring out what customers wanted and creating clothing that resonated with them. And I had all these amazing opportunities, but what I realized was that I was an entrepreneur and I was actually, I ended up leaving that celebrity job. And as I was in transition of trying to figure out as a designer, what did I want to do? I fell into consulting people, fashion, I, people who wanted to start fashion brands. So I started my company called Designer Consulting Co-op back in 2007. And since then, in 15 years, I launched over a thousand fashion brands. I designed, developed, and produce them for them. So I like to say I've, I've, I've launched 999 more brands than most people. And in that time, I started my own line called Cuffs Couture, which were wearable wrist wallets. And so I took all the experience I had for launching all these other brands. And I was dressing celebrities like Kim Kardashian, Carrie Underwood. She wore it on a couple of her music videos and on the um, country music awards. And I sold globally. And then I got married and had children. And as, as I was having my second kid, I was like, there's no way I can keep my consulting business and my cuffs business. And so I decided I wanted to end the product business that I had, the cuffs couture. That'll get into the story later. But that's how I actually met Mina as I was trying to figure out how do I close down a business? Because I think there's times in our lives that businesses make sense, like you had a business. And then there's also, it's also okay to have closure to that, you know, and to move on into another season. So that's, that's kind of what got me to meeting Mina. I love that. And Jacqueline, what a mature thing to think about because so often I think uh, as a business owner of any age, right? We only think of growth. We think of bigger. Sometimes we forget to talk about the exit plan. And so making that decision. So I want to learn now, Mina, talk to us, share with us about your backstory. So I actually never really ever thought of myself as an entrepreneur. I grew up in a really traditional Asian household. I am a also a first-generation American. My parents are actually refugee immigrants. Uh, we're Thai Dam which um, doesn't really have a land, but it's a, a culture born out of refugee camps in North Vietnam. So we were displaced during, my family was displaced during the Vietnam War. So we came over to Iowa of all places. So when I was growing up, it was really about assimilation, blending in, never stand out. You know, we were taught really to never look anybody in the eye, to never ask questions, to never laugh out loud, especially as four girls. It was four girls growing up. My parents were very fearful of, you know, what could happen with us and, and things like that. So we are really, really taught to blend in. So I never really identified with being an entrepreneur for a very long time, probably well into adulthood, because when we were starting, when I was, I went to traditional school, just like Jacqueline, everything was go to college, go to school. We came to America to really pursue this opportunity, this American dream of all of you getting the education that we never received. So I actually, I am a 
true believer in formal education too. So I actually have my master's of business administration. I have my undergrad degree in advertising as well as a minor in psychology. And, but at the time I really, when I came out of college, I started doing freelance graphic design work and I kind of fell into entrepreneurship. So during that time, which was around, I graduated in 2004 with my MBA. And during that time, I was right before the bubble burst, 2008, you know, recession. And during that time, I was starting to gain graphic design clients that I would do annual reports for newsletters, all of those things that were really um, starting to get these really big clients like banks, property management companies, and 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 then the bubble burst and I got even more clients. So during that time, it was when people started opening up to the idea of freelancers helping with in-house marketing. So I really, really grew that and I started doing that. And then I had kids, same with Jacqueline. And uh, when I started to have my second daughter, I was really burnt out from having to stay up and do these annual reports for all these banks and all these uh, car dealerships and that sort of thing. And I thought, I want to do something different. You know, I had during that time had been doing it for 10 years at that point. I knew I was you know, going to get burnt out. And with my second daughter, I knew that I wanted to create a product. So at that time, I'm thinking, how do I create a product? What could I do? And then it just came to me one day when I was um, getting baby bottles ready for daycare for my second daughter, who is five years younger than my oldest daughter, that I needed to label the bottles. And they actually hadn't solved that problem of labeling baby bottles with a label that I could easily write and microwave or dishwash or any of those things. So I solved my own problem. I created it and I used my background and knowledge of commercial printing from having done annual reports and I figured it out with the adhesive and the the labels and the materials and everything. This obviously is like in a nutshell type of story because it was very difficult actually to figure out all the moving pieces. You know, when you have kids, you have that sense of urgency, of course. And then I ended up putting that business on Amazon and sold very, very well. So we became really an established business on Amazon. My husband, who is actually an immigrant refugee as well, he actually now, now we're about, let me think, Um, seven years into our business, he now works for our business full time. And he actually is a, he has his doctorate of pharmacy. So we've come a long way in, in such a huge way because we were first generation American, actually he's first generation immigrant then, then he, you know, we both have very extensive degrees and we are both entrepreneurs. And I kind of became something, I guess, that my parents really weren't in- anticipating. They really wanted us to be lawyers or doctors or never a business person. And now here we are and it's been amazing. And now, and then I met Jacqueline because she was going to liquidate Cuffs Couture and she had questions about Amazon. So that's kind of how we met and she can kind of go into that story more. But that's my backstory of really, you know, I started Little Labels, which is my product business, and I grew it on Amazon primarily. And really, I was solving my own problem of how do I label my baby bottles? But as far as being an entrepreneur, I think that sometimes we fall into it or sometimes we grow up thinking we're always going to be an entrepreneur. I never grew up thinking I was going to be an entrepreneur. I never I never thought of uh, building a lemonade stand, nothing like that. Like Jacqueline 
created her lip gloss thing. But I do know that one of the things that I learned from my childhood was that I could create something out of nothing. So that was what really carried me through into my entrepreneurship journey was I can create something out of nothing. I can be scrappy. I can be creative and I can make money in whatever way that I can. And I think that that is something that we're seeing even from entrepreneurs during the pandemic was that everybody got really resourceful with what they had and what their priorities were. And now we're seeing a lot more entrepreneurs kind of coming into um, what they are dreaming of for their own lives. I love that, Mina. And I absolutely agree with you. I think from both your stories, one thing that I'll say as a takeaway is not only were you scrappy and you were creative, but you both had a sense of self-awareness of your abilities. There was that confidence in it, right? So Jacqueline was saying, you know, I can make the decision to change schools. This is what I want to do. And I think this is something that I should do. And same with you, Mina. You're like, I just realized this is something I could do. This is a problem I can solve. And I can use my experience and my education and figure this out. So you're sort of the, Mina, a little bit of an accidental entrepreneur, but I think you always had it in you. You just needed that opportunity to sort of let it out, right? It just revealed itself. And, and how beautiful that this happened really in, in sort of that pursuit of that work-life balance because you both mentioned having kids and you're like, this isn't going to work. And recognizing that shifting doesn't mean giving up. It just means maybe going a slightly different direction. All right, Jacqueline, you got to take the story over from there. So you met, and then what then? Well, actually, we met on the internet. So we actually met through a female founder, CEO, like six-figure business owner group on Facebook. And I had actually heard Mina mentioned on this podcast whose group it was that the podcaster was talking about people who have expertise in certain areas and how they could one day potentially coach people. So she had mentioned Mina and she's like, you know, Mina has this amazing business, little labels that she sells on Amazon. But if Mina ever wanted to be a coach, she could coach people about Amazon. Meanwhile, Mina's probably like, you know, in the background as an introvert, like, no, no, I never want to coach anybody. But I reached out to her on in a Facebook group and I said, Hey, I've got this product and I'm looking to liquidate it. And I heard you on the podcast and I'd love to talk to you about potentially liquidating my product on Amazon. This is when Amazon was still sort of new. It wasn't not every household was Amazon Prime. We were just still kind of figuring it out. And so she was kind enough to jump on a call with me. We we coffee chatted online and video video land before, you know, everyone was on Zoom. We just started talking and we realized really quickly now, she told me, don't liquidate on Amazon at that time. So I didn't. We realized that we were speaking the same love language. So our love language was business and entrepreneurship. And we really vibed on that. We both had young daughters that were the same age. They were both about two and a half at that point. But we loved to talk about products and all the things that came with product-based businesses. Because while you could have a service business, which we both actually did have service businesses with clients, products required shipping and inventory and production and product development and so much cost up front before you ever knew if you could sell it. So we started chatting and we probably chatted on the phone for, you know, six, seven, eight months. And then I used to speak at the LA textile show fashion industry twice a year. And they asked me to put a panel together. And so I, you know, I brainstormed with Mina cause she became my new brainstorm buddy about all things business. And which by the way, our husband, well, my husband loved because he was so done talking about business. And he was so glad I had a business bestie is what we used to call each other. And so 
you know, I called her up one day and I was like, Hey, I have to put this panel together. Do you want to come and speak as the Amazon expert? And it, we called it multi-stream machine, which funny enough is our signature course now, but it was the idea of multiple streams of revenue for product-based businesses. And we had someone speak about wholesale, someone speak about direct to consumer, someone speak about social, someone speak about Amazon, which Mina did. And so it was the first time we ever met in person after speaking, we stayed together um, in an Airbnb. We also, because I'm a very much a quick start, I was like, hey, Mina, should we sell something at the end? And should it be a mastermind for, you know, designers? And she's like, sure. So she just, she came to LA. We met for the first time. We did this panel. And at the end, we said, by the way, you know, we're putting together this mastermind to support you. And if you'd like to do that. And we were so old school in the hallway outside, people came up to us and they're like, we want to join. We sold out nine spots. We were, you know, taking PayPal payments in the hallway. We started this business before we even had a name. And that was in October. And then by January of the next year, we launched the podcast. So it was just this love language that we we wanted to encourage each other and we wanted people to have a place to find information information about product-based businesses that it wasn't specific to you need to go Amazon or Etsy or it's all one way. Cause we really believe, and you can see with our different paths that everybody has a different path to profit and they have different types of businesses and different sorts of needs and wants and desires, and they live in different places. So we really wanted to encourage, and the majority of our audience are, they are women, but encourage women to be able to make infinite amounts of money. Like we want them to blow their own mind, but also realize that they could have a business that aligns with the life and lifestyle they want. And we, we try to model that as well. Let's talk digital marketing. There's social media and there's social media for business. We know there's a big difference between using it for personal reasons and using it for work. The pandemic has further highlighted the importance of getting the word out about our businesses and our personal and business brand. Can you share a few strategies small businesses can implement if and when they want to run those digital advertisements? But Facebook ads are tricky these days too. It depends on your budget and what you're trying to sell. We grew our business to beyond our wildest dreams by using Facebook advertising or meta as it is now when we advertise on Facebook and Instagram. And that works to a point and to acquire new leads. Now our product-based businesses that we help, sometimes it has to be the cart value that is worth them running the ads because you run an ad, it costs a certain amount of money to bring in a person and um, then you sell the product and you may end up not making any money in the end. Mina and I are very much about as much as you can do organic marketing, but we do believe in paid. So paid can be, and we're seeing a transition into paid on YouTube ads. TikTok is doing ads these days. There's traditional old school marketing, you know, there's snail mail, and then there's still the ability to do Facebook or Google ads, but Facebook and Instagram. But what we're starting to see is it's, well, let me just tell you the uglier, the content, the better. So we also realize that a lot of times an ugly ad will stop the scroll than something that's just like a pretty photographed picture of us, you know, trying to sell something. So I think when people are thinking about it, they have to understand, do they have the budget for it because you need your ad spend? And also, are you going to learn it and try and do it yourself? Or can you hire an agency that's an expert at it that can really magnify your business better and they understand where you can show up. We're even on Pinterest these days and we advertise on Pinterest as well because Pinterest is really changing the way the platform is. So if you think about Pinterest and YouTube, those are search engines. And so people are searching for information. And if you're going to advertise on those, can your ad answer the search? right? Can it answer that question that they might have? So for us, we could be advertising on YouTube or Pinterest. And if someone's searching like how to start a pottery business, 
we might be able to pop up there. Facebook and, and Instagram is a little bit different and it's a little bit tricky and it works for some people and it, and it works for others. But I think it's this idea of, do you want to handle it yourself or can you hire someone to help you? Um, and understanding that there's an ad spend and an agency fee that goes with it. I would say start small. And then if it starts to work and you, and you dial it in, then you get to expand and really, really lean into paid ads. We'll be right back with the product bosses in just a moment. Hi, I'm Kwame Christian, CEO of the American Negotiation Institute, and I have a quick question for you. When was the last time you had a difficult conversation? These conversations happen all the time, and that's exactly why you should listen to Negotiate Anything, the number one negotiation podcast in the world. We produce episodes every single day to help you lead, persuade, and resolve conflicts both at work and at home. So level up your negotiation skills by making Negotiate Anything part of your daily routine. That Mina, I gotta bring you up. I want to talk about this. So ugly ads work, and the other thing is, I want to ha- have you answer Jacqueline's question of agency, non-agency. What is your take on this? So I think that that's when you're ready for an agency, or um, if you're ready to pay somebody, because not everybody should do their own ads for sure. But if you are, if you want to build that skill set, it is beneficial to have for you to have some sort of understanding. The reason why ugly ads worked when you're thinking about social media advertising, whether it be Instagram or Facebook, is because it's considered interruption marketing, meaning somebody comes to social media, they're not intending to be sold to. So you're interrupting their feed. So the things that stop them tend to be some things like if you can see, I have a pink mic, Jacqueline does too, that sometimes stops them, right? Or perhaps it's a uglier photo. We call them ugly because they're not the beautiful graphically, you know, um, graphic ones that are, that look perfect. They're ones that people are like, oh, it stopped them because there might be a mistake in, you know, an overlay or something, or something's upside down, or, you know, something popped into the screen, or, you know, we are not perfectly posed, for example. Um, I do want to say that that's if you're thinking about paid ads, because we work with a lot of businesses that are straight out of their living rooms, they're building empires directly out of their living rooms or basements or garages, we tend to let them think about three different buckets. So I want everybody who's thinking about digital marketing or online commerce or whatever it is, you're thinking about paid, which Jacqueline went over with you. And then there's organic, which we truly believe in. It's bootstrapping. We we both are bootstrapped. And that is like email marketing, word of mouth. And then the third bucket is partner, partnership. And that might be affiliate and collaboration. So let me go over that again. Paid, organic, partnership. And it has to be kind of a blend of all three of those. As a small business, it's it's easier to pull from those three than it is to put all your eggs into just one of those baskets. So, you know, let me ask you this. So often, you know, I work with business owners of all different sizes and they're really concerned about the bottom line. You know, how much in sales will we bring in? How much in payroll? How am I going to hand out raises this year to my team? You know, there's so many financial risks as it relates to business. And I know that you've got that MBA there too. So how important in your mind is business marketing? And what do you say to a small business owner who says, you know, I just don't have the time or the money to get the word out about what we do? Well, I think that that's only one piece of it. You need to at least know the foundational pieces. So 
while people think that I can, I just need to focus on sales and getting visibility out there. So we really break it down into systems, visibility, and sales. So systems is where you make sure that as you're able to scale, you have your um, we call it holes in the boat, where perhaps you need to plug in the holes like pricing and photos or, you know, um, systems like shipping, for example, to make sure you're not losing money. Because once you get sales, you'll need to have a, a, a foundation with no cracks. So we say boats and uh, holes in the boat, because no matter how fast you might be going with sales, if you're going fast and you have holes in the boat, you will gradually sink. So with visibility, what you're talking about is getting new eyes on your business. That is really pulling people in, engaging them, and rewarding the existing customers. It's nine times more likely that a existing customer will buy from you than a new customer. So really understanding there's little tweaks in what you could be doing to bring in the new eyes or the marketing budget that you could really... Um, think about as a small business owner that aren't these big, huge things. We're not, you know, as a small business, you don't need to do those big box tactics or anything like that. You need to figure out what the foundational things are and not think that I don't have the business savvy or I don't understand my numbers. Just do it in a way where it's very foundational, where you understand, okay, this is my monthly expenses. And this is my understanding what profit and losses is, is, is so crucial, as well as understanding, you know, you need your systems, you need your visibility, which is brand awareness, you know, how are people going to find you? And then you need your sales channels, which Jacqueline was talking about, you know, having more than one sales channel. So that way, if a pandemic hits, and in-person shows are canceled or your boutique has to close, you know where to turn to, to still contribute to your uh, monthly income and revenue. I love that you said that, Mina. I think we can all relate to that, especially in the pandemic. We want to find ways of bringing in income that doesn't require us to be face-to-face -face with a customer or a consumer, right? And also, we want income to take place without us having to be there every step of the way. And, you know, Shakla, I'd like to come back to you on this because I know it was mentioned, and Mina definitely talked about this. Let's go a little deeper on organic marketing. I would love for you to take us a little deeper. Why is this important? I mean, when we think organic, we think vegetables and whatnot, but talk to me about organic marketing as, as you define it. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of small businesses really, they do. When we ask, what's your biggest struggle? They say, getting more eyes on my business, being discovered by new people. And, you know, there's a traditional, if you're a brick and mortar, you can, an organic marketing is local marketing. So people put little signs out in front of their shop, you know, come on in hot cocoa, or they might be in the local paper. There's a community paper or Facebook groups. So it depends on your business. So if you're a local, we would tell you to lean into local. So organic marketing is like, can people people be talking about you raving fans. Are you asking for people to give referrals? Like if you bring in a friend, you hand out coupons. My husband just hired someone to come do our trees. Our trees were falling. And I was like, how'd you find this company? He's like a mailer, you know, something that he got mailed in the mail old school marketing. So a lot of the things you can think about is old school marketing and where, yes, you're paying for the postage, but you're, you're sending them out to your customers. You're sending them out to the local area. Other ways of organic marketing are so many people spend time on social media, but without a result. So we're very lucky that we have access to things like Facebook and Instagram and TikTok where we can reach cu customers globally. So we work with a cookie company. She is a bakery out of Arkansas and she's local and she's the biggest bakery in her area. Well, she also sells nationally 
And how did she get people to know about her organically? Well, she started creating videos. She created TikToks and reels of her making stuff. She posted them and they started going viral, but she didn't just do that. She then went live into her group or onto Instagram or into her Facebook group. And she talked about her stuff and she sold it organically. The thing is, is when we're going to be on social media, we also ask that you build your email list. So if you have a brick and mortar, you want to capture people's emails, you have a restaurant, get them on an email list, give them an incentive. Because if you can email them and get them to come back for something, a promotion, you know, it was Valentine's Day, come to the restaurant, or we've got a special on chocolates. And also online, that digital marketing email is one of the most underused marketing tools for small businesses that are afraid. And this is the why they're so afraid of bothering their customers. So they don't want to send emails because they personally don't like their inbox being filled with emails. So they don't want to send them. But what they don't realize is that is one of the key ways of communicating with their customers. So I think it's always thinking about how can you be more visible, um, thinking about ways that people can talk about you and refer you like referral marketing. And also the idea of when you're on social, are you list building? Are you saying, Hey, you know, join my, my mailing list and you'll get a 20% off coupon. It's always having a call to action to get people to take an action. So it would be like, get on my email list so we can email you later for sales or come check out my products by now, you know, check it out. So I would say that's some of the organic marketing we lean into. Yeah, Jacqueline, I love that. You know, I've heard this and I think it's very true. When you think of social media, that's kind of like rental property, but your email list is owned property. So, you know, different platforms could kick you off. They could cease to exist. We know many social networks that no longer exist actively right now, but if you don't have someone's email or direct contact, then you're losing that contact once you don't utilize that social media platform. So important to think about. You know, Jacqueline, I want to come back to you on this because I, you know, a lot of us see like the Nikes and the Apple of the world. You know, they're just dominating marketing. We're seeing great ads on the Super Bowl and everything else. And they're setting up a lot of new trends. What I'm curious, and I love to hear from both of you on this, actually, Mina, I'd love for you to jump in on that set as well, which is, you know, what are some of the trends that small businesses should have on their radar and things that they can implement and adopt and then learn from some of these bigger companies that they can do right now? Well, I was going to say one big thing that we're seeing a lot of e-commerce do are text messages. Let's say the Shopify platform is incorporating it. I'm starting to see big companies email me and text me within the same hour, the same sort of content, the same sort of thing that they want me to buy. So text messaging is a direct access to somebody's phone. You don't want to abuse that privilege to be on their phone, but it's an easy, cheap way of communicating. And like you said, it's building a list that you own. You would own that email list. I would say the other thing that people can incorporate is is entertainment. You want to kind of get a hold on what your customer likes or doesn't like, and you want to entertain because it's it's no longer that, like we said, the pretty picture, but how are you entertaining someone or being amusing or speaking their language? So I, you know, there's a serial company I follow and everything is magical about it. And whenever they, you know, message me, it's something magical, or there's this pillow company I follow and they're always talking about ice and ice cubes, and they're always making jokes about ice. So, and there's a cat that's their mascot. So those are things that stand out. You can be other ways, but you need to be what your customer is looking for. So I would say standing out, entertaining, and then really for me, um, text messaging is a very big thing you can get into. All right, Mina, I'm sure you have some ideas on this too. 
Yeah, I think that one of the things that is a superpower for small businesses that they can even stand out more than the big guys is that they can involve storytelling. So why are they going to buy from you? So even if you're a boutique locally, for example, it's everything around the product. What are you memorable for? So with the big guys, with Nike and Adidas, and they have to kind of shock you to your system in a way for you to remember them because you already remember them. But as small businesses, you sell through story. You sell through everything around the product. So why are they going to your boutique, right? So it's everything, you know, are you a boho one? What is it that they know that I can go to this boutique and that is what they are known for and that is what I know I'm going to get? It's a certain aesthetic. It's a certain voice. It's a certain appeal and that you can start telling your stories through, but also a certain voice and a certain story. That is memorable. So as as the businesses get bigger, they're really telling their stories through, like you said, commercials or Super Bowl or other people. But you as a small business, that's your superpower. You get to use your own story and relate it and connect the dots to your customer. So we're seeing a lot of small business owners that are really utilizing, you know, before people used to want to like hide behind their products. I know this as an introvert, right? But now it's they're starting to share how they made things, how they are growing out of their garage, how they are, um, why they started their business, you know, why this is their bestseller and the three ways their customers have used it. Or, you know, even if they're a candle company, it's like, what is this fragrance? And why did I create this fragrance? It's become really a development of a story of the reasons why that person is in business. And that is what we're seeing a lot more of is people are buying from people and people are stepping up to show more of themselves. I love that. I agree with that so much. Okay, Mina, let me ask you this. You know, can you give us some advice on maybe something really simple that small businesses might not think about that they can do to increase revenue? Sure. There's so many ways, I feel like. So, okay. So one of the ways that they can, and this is for product businesses. So customers, for example, will automatically psychologically add more to their cart than they would if they had to pay for shipping. So if you have an average cart value, so let's say, you know, you have a candle company and you can look at all your revenue and you can see, oh, my average cart value is $24. You know, it's around $24. Any platform that you're on, you can tell what your average cart value is, your average checkout. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm actually going to have free shipping for orders over $35 because it's over the average cart value. That's why I'm bringing up the average cart value. Eight, I think it's something like 80% of people would rather put more into their cart than to pay for shipping alone. So that is something so simple that you can offer free shipping, but make sure that you're profitable still. So maybe you need to raise it to 50 or you need to raise it to 75 or whatever it is. That's just a simple example, but look at your numbers to make sure that you are indeed profitable on that, that you can pay for the shipping. Because remember, then in that case, you're paying for the shipping. Um, so even if you raise it you know, to $50, free shipping on orders over $50, then it's more likely that they'll go for the $50 than to pay for shipping and pay for $24. Does that make sense? That, absolutely. That's great. Jacqueline, do you have one to add for us too? These are gems. Yeah. I would say that idea of, do you want fries with that? Or, you know, it's just 25 cents for a larger cup. So it's that idea of an upsell. So it's the same idea of getting an average cart value up. One thing though, is that what we realize is a lot of small businesses are afraid to raise their prices. But like you said, in the beginning of the show, there are shortages, 
the grocery store prices are going to go higher, but there's a mindset sometimes for small businesses that they don't raise their prices, even though the cost for them, their cost of raw goods is going up. So it's that idea of raising your prices and you do not need to explain that to anybody. This is your business and it's your responsibility to stay in business. So I would say first thing is raise your prices. Don't be afraid. People will buy from you. Okay. Get into the right margins for yourself. The other thing is upsells. So it's that same idea of asking them if they want to add something. So there are apps for all different sorts of websites where it might be, you add something to your cart. Like let's say you add shampoo and then an upsell is like, Hey, wait, before you go, would you like to add this conditioner? or this comb. So it's the idea of what Mina and I are both trying to say to you is raise your average cart values by making it easy for them to put more into their cart. So recommend the same way that if someone were to walk into a physical store, um, you'd say, Oh, what are you looking for? And then you'd show them and you'd be like, Oh, this goes really well with this. And you would keep kind of adding without being too salesy, you would offer them things that would solve a problem, a solution for them. And, and it would be by adding something extra to their cart. Like so simple, so smart, but it's always oftentimes the smallest, simplest things that are the most valuable. And I think for small business owners who sell product, talk about some gems. Great, great news. All right. You know, it wouldn't be right for me to let you both go before asking this question. And then this is something that we really need to talk about. All three of us are moms here. We totally understand the whole concept of work-life balance. And a lot of small business owners have families. They feel like they're being pulled in all different directions, you know, business and home and life and school and everything else. What do you do to keep calm and carry on? I'm going to start with you, Mina Anas, and I'm going to go to Jacqueline for sure, because I'm sure she feels uh, differently as well. What do you advise other businesses to do when they say like, I already feel so overwhelmed and I need a better quality of life? Yeah, I think, you know, some seasons are harder than others. When Jacqueline and I first started and we had young children, believe me, that's when it's the hardest, right? So know that you're not alone in it and some seasons are definitely harder than others. And I would say you build around the support that you need. So, you know, a lot of, for us, we work with a lot of women and it's really hard for us to ask for help. So start small, right? So it might be that you hire a babysitter for one day a week or you get your laundry outsourced, you know, a fluff and fold or something. You have to start small. Like we call it micro support. So that way you end up trying to starting to stack up these little things of support that you need in order to get what you need done. I also like to say that get the support you need in the time frames that you need. So there's times when the house is kind of the witching hour is what I like to call it. So those are during transition times when your kids might be going to school, they might be going getting done with school or you it's somewhere where the house is much more hectic than the normal time. That can be times when you actually add to the routine or you add to somebody coming in and helping you, for example. So during those times when your kids might need, you know, you know that it's harder on you during the times when they're coming home from school, you might have a snack cart that they end up going to the snack cart and finding the snacks themselves. That's something where it's like a process that you can put in that makes it easier for them. I also do, a sh I bought a shoe bin on Amazon and I put their clothes in there every Sunday and we do it together. So it's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That way every morning they don't have to think about what they're going to wear. It's a shoe bin with, you know, a shirt, pants, underwear, and socks that they picked out. They get to read, oh, today's Tuesday. I'm going to pull out my clothes and put it on for me. So in the morning, we don't have to fight about what they're going to wear, what the temperature is, if they can wear shorts, because that is literally every single day of this household. And it feels like it is super helpful, but it's something that's so easy. Oh, I love it. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah, you know what? I'm with you, Mina. I have a household where my kids want to wear shorts every day of the year. Fortunately, we're in California, so it's sort of possible. But Jacqueline, talk to us about work-life balance. Yeah, I think I think one of the words we actually have to let go is balance and think more about juggling. So the thing is, is that it's hard. We put this pressure on ourselves to balance and to hold all the plates at once. And it really is, it's like, okay, well, one thing is going to need more energy than the other thing. And we really are doing a lot. As women, especially, this is probably one of the times that we are doing the most. You know, we either have jobs or we're entrepreneurs, we're running businesses, we have teams that rely on us. We have our, you know, partners, our spouses, we've got children and also taking care of parents and all the things. And so it's, it's, there's so much. And I think there hasn't been a lot of women that have modeled for us all of the things. Now there are, there are women that have done this for years and, you know, our mothers and grandmothers and things like that. But the thing is, is this is a new time. It's also a time that our husbands, a lot of our husbands are home and helping with things that they haven't done before. So it does definitely go back to the thing that Mina is saying too. It's, it's asking for help. Instacart is an example of people getting their groceries shopped for them when we didn't do that before. And maybe people wouldn't have done it pre pandemic, but now they're doing it now because it's like, okay, I don't need to run to the store. I can place my order and get that done. And I'll hear people push back and be like, but it's, you know, X amount of dollars a year. Yeah. But what's your time worth? And if your time can be spent with the people you love or taking care of yourself, taking a walk around the block, I don't know, taking a bubble bath, then do the things that are better for you and pay for what you can afford to outsource for help. But I would say, let's let go of that idea of feeling like we have to balance it all. Because let me tell you, Mina and I just came out of a huge launch and our houses are a mess. They're a mess. Even if we have help to help us, they are a mess. And we have to be okay with that because sometimes work is going to take priority. And then other times our children are going to take priority. And somewhere in the middle, we find time for ourselves. Amazing, amazing. Well, I love it. This was such an amazing time. I'm so grateful for you both for being here. Where should people go to follow you to learn sort of the next chapter? I know you've got a lot going on. Of course, your coaching program as well. Where do we send them, Jacqueline? Thank you. So you can listen to our podcast, The Product Boss, anywhere you listen to podcasts. So Spotify, Apple, anywhere. You can always learn more about us at theproductboss.com. We are really excited to be the founders of the Shop One in Five Pledge, where we ask people to make one in five of their purchases from a small business business online or offline. So if you want to learn more and shop from hundreds of product-based businesses, we have a small business directory. They're global. And so you can discover small businesses if you head to shop1in5.com. And we'd love to see you over on Instagram at The Product Boss. I hope this show has inspired a few new ideas for you and your own entrepreneur journey. They found their yes factor, and I hope you do too. What we think of as work-life balance has certainly changed these past months, and for the product bosses, Jacqueline and Mina, it has challenged them to think differently, but also to broaden their business reach. Find ways to add to your own bottom line and don't forget to save for your financial future along the way. If this episode resonated with you or if you have questions, please comment and subscribe. I'd love to hear from you. And please join me again next week as we share a new episode of The Yes Factor with you. Thank you and be well. Be well.